Hello and welcome to Asia Perspectives from Economist Impact. I'm Charles Ross, Principal of Policy and Insights, and our topic today is part of the Now for Next Leaders Dialogue, a platform for India's business leaders to share the experiences they are facing now and provide insight into the strategies they are deploying to prepare for what comes next. The program is supported by Google, but as always, our research is independent and editorial control remains with The Economist. This podcast discussion will delve into how businesses in India are adapting to shifting realities as the country continues to navigate the challenges of the pandemic. But beyond the pandemic, we'll explore how firms are digitizing their own operations and how these initiatives are helping not just their own business, but are improving digital inclusion for Indian society. This is important because growing digitalization is going to be one of the defining trends in the Indian economy in the years to come. But in order to truly benefit from the benefits of digitalization, a much larger share of the population and businesses must be provided easy, ample and cheap access to digital information and technology. So today I've asked two industry leaders to join us to get their view on how firms are currently navigating the recent surge in pandemic cases and how they see India's progress to digitize firms and whether they are playing their part in ensuring that all parts of Indian society, whether that's rural and urban, lower and higher income, women and men, the young and the old, but they all have reliable and useful access to the internet. So first up, we have Vidit Atre, who is the co-founder and CEO of Misho. They are an Indian social e-commerce company founded in 2015. Headquartered in Bangalore, the firm was established to enable small businesses and individuals to start a business online without any investment, a service which was sorely needed judging by its surging popularity and value in recent years, which now stands at close to $5 billion US dollars. Vidit, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you here. Thanks, Charles. Good to be here. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, secondly, we have Kush Bal, who is a partner at McKinsey, where he leads the digital and analytics practices in India. He works with many large Indian companies, helping them to start and accelerate their digital journeys. A large part of this is identifying and helping to grow customer segments by bringing more people into the digital economy. Kush, welcome to the discussion. Thanks, Charles. Good to be here. Thank you both for your time today. I'm going to plow straight into it. We've got about 20 minutes to cover what is a big, big topic. So let me get straight into it. And Kush, I'd like to start with you, if I may. Over the past few months, we've been creating this India Business Barometer, which has been tracking the sort of ebbs and flows of business confidence over the last year. And late last year, we saw this surge in confidence, which we also identified in September when you said that there is a an expansion of the types of digital initiatives that are being considered by business leaders. That's something you saw back in September. But you highlighted back then that firms were spending less time reacting and were now back to the growth agenda, looking much more expansively at their digitization ideas. Now with India experiencing this sort of next deadly wave of the pandemic, are you seeing that firms are remaining as bullish as you predicted in September or, or does it look a little bit different now? So, Charles, what uh, what we're seeing is that companies are actually very bullish uh, on the transformation. They are, of course, bullish about growth as well because everybody is coming out of the slow period uh, that we've seen with the pandemic. 
I think what the pandemic has done is that it's actually proven the power of innovation. We've seen both small businesses, startups, large companies, you know, innovate out of necessity. If there was any doubt in people's minds about the value of that innovation or whether those those innovations would actually be adopted by consumers or not, I think those doubts have gotten removed. I think it's also uh, partly fueled by the fact that there have been some very successful IPOs and fundraises by you know some of the uh, the startup world. So that sort of is another validation of the value creation potential. But I think more fundamentally, people are seeing that whatever innovation they did has actually gotten adopted. And whatever innovation others did has gotten adopted. And I guess guys like Vidith here are at the forefront of that uh, and what they've been demonstrating. So I think companies that were on the fence are now sort of all over the fence and are, and are innovating at a pace which I have at least not seen before. I've been at it for the last five or six years. And I'm, I'm seeing a real exponential growth in the pace of innovation and the openness to innovation, particularly using the power of digital. Yeah, it's, it's great to hear that there's sort of the business case for some of these investments, these innovations is, is, is proving out and showing out now. So as you say, getting people over the fence, if you like, rather than sitting still on the fence, that's positive. Hope to hear a little bit more of maybe some of the specific examples of some of those innovations that you've uh, you've been seeing in the market in a moment. But let me first go to Vidit and and understand from you. You work with a lot of small businesses. I mean, that's your sort of the the key, the sort of sweet spot of your business model. I'm just wondering what you're seeing, how you're finding sort of the current challenges posed by the pandemic with those smaller businesses, which are sort of the the growth of any big economy. What are you seeing out there? Yeah, and I think let me start with what we do at Misho. And that context will add to this conversation. So at Misho, we are focused on democratizing internet commerce for everyone. And as of today, what does that everyone include? We're serving about 100 million consumers in India and a lot more of them come beyond the top six or eight cities in the country. We are serving about 15 million micro entrepreneurs who are primarily women and about half a million small businesses who are manufacturers, distributors across all categories, right? So we see a large landscape of all of these small businesses across the country. And I think what has happened because of the pandemic, like two years ago, just pre-pandemic, the digitization of small business in India was pretty low, like very less adoption. Most of these small businesses were primarily selling offline. And there was a big resistance in then coming online. Hey, why should I learn something new? Will this become large? I have to invest in some new capabilities. A lot of small businesses do not think very long term in building out these capabilities, right? But what happened is in just a month, they realized when the pandemic started that complete offline distribution has gone for a toss and no one has any idea when this will come back. So all of them were to some extent forced to adopt way of going online and basically growing their business. And we have seen over the last two years, like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of small businesses have come online and they've been able to completely transform their business. They've invested in capabilities that are required to go online, be on online platform, be on marketplaces. They have like transformed their business in terms of building the right products that sell online, like the right price points, which may not be possible before. So we have seen pandemic has been a game changer in enabling some of these small businesses. And now I think even when like six months ago, when a lot of people started to go offline, a lot of them have realized the real value of going digital. And we are saying that they're staying here and they're investing more and more, I think, which is extremely positive. So we are seeing a lot of these small businesses digitize and people who are still resisting it 
are not able to survive as much because this COVID thing has not been a thing for a quarter or six months or nine months. It's been there. And the effect in customer's behavior is also quite permanent. Like a lot of people are now very comfortable buying online. They don't want to go back to how they were shopping like two years ago. If this is one of the positives that we get to see, that's that's really, really encouraging. And I guess because it's dragged on for such a long period of time, those small businesses that were sort of sitting on the fence, do we need to do this or not? How long this is going to last? We all know that this is this is going to last for a while. So you need to get on the other side of the fence and start implementing it and investing it. Now, I'd love to hear about some of the things you're doing. You've got some stories around that you can share with us. How are you sort of focusing on the digital skills aspect of this? Because it's it's not just about convincing them. They need to be able to sort of have the resources to be able to do it. Yeah. So if you look at what were the new skills that some of these small businesses had to learn to become successful online? And I would say the first one was marketing. Like most small businesses in India, like either don't invest in marketing at all, or when they invest, they do some of the more offline stuff. So doing online marketing was relatively new for a lot of people. So what we did, we built a lot of tools as well as content in all possible vernacular languages in the country. So everyone, the smallest of businesses who have never done this before, are able to find this extremely simple and intuitive. I think that was one. Second, we also kind of gave them insights that they never had access to. Like in the offline world, getting access to data for small businesses doesn't exist. Right? Like You sell something, something works, doesn't work, but you never get consumer feedback. So one thing that we built were like these very tight consumer feedback telling them what is the right pricing in this product that people are buying? Where are they buying in the part of the country? So you can move your supply closer and closer to demand and maybe reduce cost around logistics and so on. We've been helping them in deciding what is the right amount of inventory to keep so they can manage their margins, minimize their losses and so on. And all of these tools, again, as I said, were very, very new to them because they never had access to some of these things in the offline world. So we spent a lot of time first creating awareness, educating these small businesses, and then kept giving these tools and kept training them until to the point it becomes very natural in their way of life of selling out there. And I think people now have become quite natural to it, which two years ago felt quite intimidating to a lot of these small businesses. Yeah, the, uh, the sort of the local language delivery of this is is interesting. Is that something that is that is new that you've had to do now, or is it something you've been doing for a while? Because I can see how important that would be in terms of breaking down the barriers of in- intimidation around this. It has been very very important, and not just now. I think when we started, one big reason why we started this company was like back in twenty fifteen. Most of what was online was big brand selling to people in top four and six cities, right? So no one really solved the Indian problem. Because if you look at India, it's a very heterogeneous country. Every state, every town, every city has very different taste in food, in clothing, in their language. Everything is very different, right? So you have to treat it like, like multiple countries packed into one and the product has to serve like that. But if you look at the large four and six cities, they generally behave very similarly, right? So the, all the products that existed before we started, were very homogeneous, mostly in an English language, serving customers with more expensive brands in certain categories. So one of the big problems we solved in our early days was how do we make the product extremely accessible for all consumers and small businesses? Kush, I'd love to hear from your perspective. You obviously mostly work with bigger firms, bigger organizations. 
in India, helping them through, Ayurveda was talking about the sort of digital transformation of, of small businesses. You do the same thing for large firms. Are you confronted with the same sorts of challenges when you're working with them in terms of localization and, and skills, or is it something else? Can you give us a feel for sort of what's top of the list of things when you're, you're working with these firms? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, the larger you are, the harder it is to change. I think with a, with a small business, I think once they get it, they really can move fast and they change fast. But with large companies, I think the realization happens slowly and it, and it also uh, takes time for them to actually start to make the moves. Having said that, when the elephants dance, they can really dance. What does it take for them to get there? You know, clearly, uh, it's a great idea. It's a, it's a leader who's convinced and then it's a big bet. And usually the big bets that they make initially actually do work out, especially if they make them the right way. And there is a little bit of a formula. But, you know, one of the most important aspects of this transformation is actually building capabilities. We talked about building capabilities with it, talked about with a small company. So with a large company, uh, building capabilities is a three-pronged problem. One, you need specialist skills. You need a digital product manager, you need a data scientist, you need a tech architect who understands how to build digital applications and so on. So you need a set of specialists who do what specialists do and only they can do that. Then you need a set of translators, people who understand the power of this technology, but also know the core of system well enough can actually bring the power of the technology to the existing sales force, to existing customers, to the manufacturing system, to the supply chain. These are vital people. It's a, it's a small set of people typically in a, in a company, but they you need those translators. And then most importantly, the leadership. Just the mindset of how you review these programs when you're undertaking this transformation. The transformation could be building a completely new digital business, like a bank building a digital bank or a healthcare company building a digital healthcare company. Or it could be digitizing a significant part of what you're currently doing Either way, you know, the leaders, the way they review these projects, the way they resource these projects, the way they think about them, the questions that they ask uh, are vastly different from, from what they do, you know, and what they've done for 20, 30 years of their career. That's also an equally important part of the capability building that has to happen. Because things like agility, for instance, the ability to put something out there, it's not perfect, and then get it right, test and learn. It's just something that's so fundamentally uh, at odds with the way managers are trained to try and get things first time right. It's a massive mindset shift, right? I put something out there and, oh, by the way, people are going to be unhappy with it in the first few weeks and then I'm going to fix it. That whole thing is just su such a different mindset and, and way of working. And I'm, I'm taking one example. There are many such uh, mindset shifts. But what we've seen is that once you have one success, then very quickly you know, people are, are all over it. The company is all over it. They realize the power of it. They decide, they understand how to resource it. They understand how to sort of take these things to the next level. That's what actually large companies are good at, right? They're, they're good at taking something and, and, and really making something of it or, or replicating success. And if you have one failure, do we see the other side? Is it, are we also seeing that, you know, companies might become a bit gun shy if they do take a risk and it doesn't work out? Yeah, this is absolutely right. And a lot of the hesitancy, a lot of the sitting on the fence actually came because there were initiatives over the last few years that actually didn't take off. And in most cases, they didn't take off, not because the idea was not right, because in most cases, you know, out of 20 great ideas, they would have picked, picked one or two or three to drive. The idea was probably the right one, but it just wasn't resourced correctly and wasn't built with the right mindset. 
if you don't want to make something a billion dollar business, it's never going to become a billion dollar business. And so if you don't start with the mindset that, listen, I'm going to completely change, I'm going to make this a 10x change, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to drop cost by to one tenth of what it is, or, you know, whatever the kind of transformative agenda, then you will never get it. You will never actually make that shift. And by the way, the startup world is again where we learn this from, right? Because, you know, they, they, they talk about this whole bold aspirations. And frankly, the same thing actually applies with large companies as well. So a lot of those failures actually is, are what drove the reticence to jump on the bandwagon. And that's why this forced innovation that had to be done for the pandemic was a way of mind opening and, and seeing the scale up of all the unicorns and the scale up of these innovative businesses has been a real signal to them that these changes can actually be made to succeed. What has surprised me quite a lot during the pandemic is sort of talking to business leaders, big companies, and how they were sort of talking back to me as though they are startups in terms of their mindset. Quick question to you, Kush. Do you think big companies, are they, have they fundamentally changed the way that they are going to innovate going forward? Or are we just seeing a little sort of a blip, an opportunity for them to behave differently now? Um, I think, Charles, you need these kinds of blips for large-scale change to happen. Uh, otherwise, it just takes longer. It'll happen. No one can ignore the power of the transformation potential of some of the technology that we have uh, today and the new ways of working. However, you know, it could take five years uh, or it could take one year. I think what's happened now is that time for innovation has gotten compressed because people have seen the power of some of these things. And I feel that that's an irreversible process. You know, initially you have to ring fence these innovations and protect them and do a lot of culture building and a lot of sort of, you know, hey, don't do that. This is the right way. You know, that's the wrong way. Don't do that. You know, there's a lot of that counseling that, that, that has to happen. But once they get it right in that ring fence unit, that innovation spreads back. Then they want to do three more of those and five more of those and 10 more of those. And you can see companies just going through this journey and soon it just becomes part of everything that you're doing. Banks, by the way, have been on this journey for a while. So, so they've seen it and, they, and they've been forced also by more innovative you know, fintechs and, and neobanks to actually innovate. And, and they've, they've gone out and done it and they've been doing it for a while. And now suddenly you see banks who have so many of these initiatives going on that it's now this is the new way of working. And it is irreversible. I, I, I don't think that this, you know, it's so powerful uh, in, in its concept and it's so tuned to the way consumers and employees uh, work that it is actually uh, it's I feel that this change will stick. We've talked about this of digital transformation of companies and, and small businesses but for this to really be beneficial to the to the whole of India the whole of the Indian economy we need to bring everybody into the digital economy and some of the research we did highlighted sort of three main barriers to, to that growth to that happening the first is around um, low levels of digital literacy the second is around poor infrastructure and the third is around limited availability of internet content in multiple languages but you've talked about some of the things that you're doing in in this space you talked about multiple language content before just wondering from you what are you doing um, and what can we do more of to overcome some of these barriers? Yeah, so I think it's a, it's, a, it's a complex problem and has multiple things attached to it. 
But let me start with things that are going right for the country first, right? Which is quite unique. So when you talked about infrastructure, if you look at today, India has one of the lowest cost of data in the entire world. There's no one else who has such low cost of data, which means like access to internet becomes much cheaper as compared to most places. So acceleration of digital adoption in India has been like great over the last four, five years. And all the internet company, internet companies, including us, have benefited from that trend. So I think that's great. Second is, I think the, the top of mind for the entire government, if you look at it, is very high, especially on internet adoption. So they've been doing a lot of work around policies such as UPI. If you look at UPI infrastructure that made online payments to be very easy, I think is also one of those things. And if online payments is not available, like you may have access to anything, you just can't buy. Right. So I think a lot of these things that are very unique in the world, I don't think there's any parallel in the emerging economies that India has the peer set. Right. So I think that's one thing that is going really well. But if you look at what's going to happen now, I think a lot of still hard problems need to be solved. So out of one and a half billion people that are there in India, only about 600 to 700 million people have access to a smartphone, which means others just can't access uh, internet at all. So I think a lot of work needs to be done. How do we go to these low-end phones and serve consumers and make these products affordable so the next 500 million people can buy smartphones and access internet? Second is, even for these 600, 700 million people, a lot of these folks have access to extremely low-end phones. So they can't keep a lot of apps on their phone and so on. So one of the big things that I think we innovated on is we built the smallest app on Google Play Store in India in our category, like by far which means a lot more people would find enough space in their phone to download the Misho app. And I think we did it and we've been able to see great ROI on that investment. And I think a lot more such innovation is required to make, again, internet products more and more accessible to this 600, 700 million people. And then after that, digital literacy, access to content, I would say are the things that are WIP right now. Like they're much, much better as compared to what it was three years ago. There's still a lot of work to be done and we are trying to do our bit as well. But I think it will keep getting better. As Kush was saying, as more and more larger companies get into this, I think that acceleration will be even more, right? More content available, more literacy, because across all products, people are able to serve these consumers through these internet products. So I would say India has done a lot of work in the last three, four years around this, which is great. And we are seeing great great leading indicators of this to keep improving at a very fast rate in the next few years as well. Excellent. I see you nodding, Kush. Are you, um, are you seeing something similar? Are you, help, are you seeing big companies that have helped accelerate this? So one, Charles, uh, if you ask the question, is it enough? It's never enough in my mind. I think there's obviously a long way to go. But I think a lot of good work has happened. I think with it touched up, uh, uh, upon that, there's a lot of enabling infrastructure that's been created. So that's a absolute necessity and it's it's been created and with devices and device prices coming down hopefully that'll get more and more widespread then you need the applications uh, and i think obviously the applications are for small businesses and for consumers uh, i think there's a lot of innovation still remaining to be done with small businesses and i, I think it's great that guys like Vidit are doing what they're doing i think large companies who deal with small businesses in variety of ways and in their value chains have a have a lot of work to do in, in enabling that. I think that's what's actually happening. The most powerful things that, that we are building and that we are part of are actually where a small business gets together with a large company and 
and you unlock the power of the small business and the and you bring the power of the large company together right and and the small business by the way could be a you know a doctor's practice it could be a a farmer variety of small businesses whose power is getting unlocked they are seeing ways to increase income uh, and so on and these applications have to be things which genuinely add value to their lives i think that's the, the real test is if you genuinely add value to your income or to your life in a in a way uh, and if you put those applications out there then people tend to adopt them there are a couple of other things that i think are important enablers one is assisted models so india is great with assisted models we have you know fortunately people who can actually help other people come online so assisted models are working great uh, in everything from adoption of financial services again we're seeing it in agri tech uh, health tech and so on and then you know financing and monetization models i think the media industry has shown us that you know the best way to get uh, penetration is not always by getting consumers to pay so there are alternate monetization models and there are lots of interesting financing models that are being tried to actually make it easier for people to adopt these services i think some combination of all of these factors and then efforts by large companies top down and you know small businesses and consumers bottom up is what's going to create sort of this uh, these you know mini explosions right sector by sector geography by geography that that we need and i mean you know, i'm seeing a lot of encouraging signs in the agritech space for instance uh where there's so much innovation happening now large companies also getting behind it and uh, you know it's a space where we are going to see a lot of innovation over the next 3 to 5 years i think a lot has already happened a lot of pilots have happened now the scale in at scale innovation is going to happen we've seen the same with health tech which is more consumer and business enablement but you know that's another space where again it was a necessity to the pandemic but now you see use of things like telemedicine going up 5 5x 10x you know who would have thought that people would be comfortable consulting their doctors online but you know they are and and a lot of things can be done online so i mean just just this these kinds of things um you know creating them uh, on the base of the infrastructure that's there is actually going to lead to i think uh, increase in inclusion yeah i had my uh, first telemedicine consultation during the pandemic here good experience an excellent way of breaking down the barriers and providing much more people with more opportunity to these types of services um really excellent to hear lots of challenges to face to bring those next sort of half a billion people online um and bring them into the digital economy but really encouraging to hear that uh, there's a lot of things happening and i think that partnership piece is is so important between big companies small companies and and with government as well everyone needs to work together to to do this Thank you both very much. And thank you as well to all of our listeners for spending this time with us and and for more on the Now for Next Leaders dialogue, please visit nowfornext.in. Today's conversation as I mentioned earlier was supported by Google. And thank you again from the editorial team at Economist Impact. Please do subscribe to our podcast channel so you sure won't miss an episode.